Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. A growing memorial tonight for S.J. Harris, now identified as the stunt woman killed while filming on the set of Deadpool 2 yesterday. Harris died after losing control of her motorcycle and crashing into Shaw Tower. Aaron MacArthur has more on Harris's background. And Aaron, this was her first film as a stunt rider. Yeah, Chris, S.J. Harris had plenty of experience riding bikes. She was a bike racer. She didn't have a lot of experience with stunts. By all accounts, this was her first film set. People paying their respects. In some cases, complete strangers. Some knew S.J. Harris barely at all. But she was an easy woman to like and difficult not to respect. I just remember her presence. And I remember just her... When she spoke, just how she, she's very, very confident. It was a dramatic thing to see, and I was really, really sorry for the family, I hope. It's just, yes, very traumatic. It was just, I wanted to pay my respects. For some, it was too much. S.J. Harris died performing a stunt for the movie Deadpool 2, her bike careening across the road. I just remember hearing uh, the, the bike really revving up, and it coming across the street and... No slowing down, just straight into the building. Harris was a professional bike racer. But this was the first time she'd ever been on set of a movie. Her first time as a stunt performer. I do know that they did an extensive search worldwide, and SJ was, was the best woman for the job. She was absolutely experienced. Um, she's a, a licensed road racer, uh, the first African-American female licensed road racer. So she was more than capable um, of doing whatever they, they would have put in front of her. WorkSafe BC is investigating the accident. Mechanical issues with the Ducati will likely be looked at, as well as Harris's level of experience and the safety protocols used on set. People who follow the industry say accidents, even with such elaborate stunts, are rare. It's a black mark, sure. It hurts the industry, but let's not forget, these are American films, American productions, and sometimes decisions are made that really Vancouver crews have no uh, say over. S.J. Harris, a trailblazer in the world of motorsports, dead at the age of 40. Now, the Deadpool 2 set is still closed for production today. That is likely to change over the next few days. Big stunt sequences still scheduled on the streets of Vancouver by the end of August. Chris? All right, Aaron MacArthur, downtown thoughts, of course, going out to her friends and family. Well, Vancouver is hoping its reputation as a successful host city will help it land a piece of the largest sports competition in the world, the 2026 FIFA World Cup. Vancouver would be part of a combined North America bid, hosting up to 10 games with other matches in the U.S. and Mexico. John Waugh joins us with more on this. And, John, there's a lot at stake here. 
Yeah, but I can just remember covering the 2015 uh, FIFA Women's World Cup here around BC Place Stadium, and this city buzz was absolutely amazing. You had soccer fans from around the world marching down the streets. They were screaming, laughing, having a great time, and you can be sure Vancouver wants another kick at that ball. And bring it back, bring it back. Every kid wants to move like Messi, run the ball like Ronaldo. So cool to think if maybe I could be that good someday. But the closest these players have gotten to their favorite soccer stars. My dad made like a full-size Messi like that tall. The days of cardboard cutouts could be over in 2026, with Vancouver hoping to host the FIFA Men's World Cup in a joint bid with other Canadian cities, the United States and Mexico. We have that experience with FIFA and so we're really excited, you know, from the, the diversity of world-class events that we've hosted to show that our capacity is there to host the world once again. It doesn't hurt to have a resume that includes the 2010 Winter Olympic Games and a wildly successful FIFA Women's World Cup in 2015, proving we have the pitch and the passion to pull it off could host potentially three matches, uh, maybe more, four or five. Uh, we're just wanting to show our best foot forward and be able to showcase the city. And if the FIFA Women's World Cup was any measure of success, here are the reasons why. There were nine matches in Vancouver, with a total attendance of about 357,000 and an economic output of $82.9 million. We didn't really know what to expect, but we were busy all day. Uh, soccer products, uh, people from all over the world came. Svelka making the early prediction that bringing the best of men's soccer will lead to a major boost in merchandise sales. Every little kid that comes into the store, they know who Messi is, they know who Ronaldo is, and it'd be just a bonus to get more of the uh, stars coming to Vancouver for sure. And it will be the future of the sport in this city that will also continue to grow. I think it, it gives them something to look up to. I think it gives them something to work for. Um, yeah, it's just super exciting. Plenty to build on as Vancouver prepares to stake another claim as a great soccer city. Super exciting, as he said, John, but we're going to have to wait a little while. What's the timing of when the host city will be named? Yeah, there's a couple of hurdles that Vancouver first has to get through. The first is, you know, getting that short list down from 49 venues across all three countries to about 20 to 25 venues. That happens next March. Then we'll see if the joint bid gets accepted by FIFA in June of 2018. But we won't know if Vancouver for sure got the gig until they decide in 2021. Chris? All right. Thanks very much. Police are investigating a shooting and vehicle fire in Abbotsford last night. The shooting happened around 7.30. A man says he was driving home along Bradner Road when someone in a white BMW opened fire at his vehicle, hitting it several times. He called police, and a short time later, a vehicle that's believed to be the suspect vehicle was found on fire in the area of Nathan Avenue. Police say the victim, who was not injured, is not known to police, and the suspect vehicle turned out to be stolen. There was a degree of planning. A stolen vehicle was taken into our jurisdiction from Surrey. Uh, someone started shooting at a person driving a black Audi, and then that uh, suspect vehicle was subsequently torched. That, that illustrates a degree of planning, and certainly I think would rule out in the first instance things like road rage. Abbotsford police asking anyone who was in the area at the time and may have seen the vehicles or the shooting to give them a call. Checking in on the wildfire situation now in our province, a total of 154 wildfires are burning in B.C. That includes eight new fires that started yesterday. The cost of fighting those fires now estimated at $309 million. 
Since April 1st, wildfires have burned an estimated 845,000 hectares. Well, with no rain in the forecast and winds expected to pick up into the weekend, we're all being urged to be extremely vigilant. Right now, the Hansville Risky Creek Fire is the largest at 212 hectares, and the Elephant Hill Fire is not far behind at 168,000 hectares. And while the Elephant Hill Fire remains very active, some good news tonight for some residents in that region. Those who live north of Cache Creek, up to and including the village of Clinton and some areas north, got the green light to go home this afternoon. That includes residents that were on evacuation order along the Highway 97 and Highway 99 corridors. However, the area remains on evacuation alert and residents should be ready to leave at a moment's notice. The city of Vancouver is taking steps to clean up one of its busiest but dirtiest waterways. Falls Creek is a hive of activity with boaters, kayakers and dragon boats paddling. But you certainly wouldn't want to swim in it. That may change now that Vancouver is trying to pump out the poop. Grace Key reports. We're very happy that it's happening. Yeah, it's great. It was a photo op for Vancouver Mayor Gregor Robertson to show off the city's latest tool to clean up False Creek. But when it was time to set sail, the new $75,000 mobile sewage pump-out station left in a trail of smoke. We set an ambitious goal to to basically make it possible to swim uh, in False Creek over this next year. We've got a number of different pieces like this sewage pump-out service for boats that I think will accelerate that possibility. The city says it's an important service, especially for the 30 or so boats by Kitsilano that people are living in. The mobile sewage pump-out station is getting mixed reviews from boaters. Would you utilize a free service? Yes. You just call them and then they just come along? Yes. I feel that uh, the the boating community should, to the best of their ability, take care of their own. I'm impressed with what they're trying to do, but uh, that's quite optimistic to make it swimful. Hans Schreier works on water resource management at UBC. He sees the combined sewers as the biggest problem. During heavy rain, the decades-old system causes water overflow, dumping raw sewage into False Creek near Science World. The goal is to separate the sewers by 2050. False Creek is is not really well flushed out, so the stuff sits in there for quite a long time. It goes out with high tide. A low tide, but not like on the other side of the harbor. If the city falls short of its goal to make False Creek swimmable by next year, a floatable pool could be an option. Depending on how far along we can get uh, for next summer, we're also looking at this this swimming strategy uh, to have uh, a pool that's available for people to swim in False Creek. So would you swim in False Creek next summer? Oh, I wouldn't, but (laughs) some people are gregarious enough to do that. (laughs) Grace Key, Global News. B.C.'s new provincial government announcing today it won't mess with the previously announced increase to B.C.'s minimum wage. Effective September 15th, the general minimum wage will increase 50 cents an hour from 10.85 to 11.35. And the liquor server wage will increase from 9.60 an hour to 10.10. But getting to the $15 mark will take a little longer. It will move uh, workers, about 94,000 of them, in British Columbia from being seventh in, in all of our provinces to third. 11.35 is not enough. Uh, there will still be hundreds of thousands of workers who work full-time and live in poverty. Uh, but it is an improvement, and the NDP government has committed to a $15 minimum wage. Uh, that 
timeline for the 15 will be be determined by the Fair Wage Commission. It's never a good idea to stare at the sun. We all know that. But millions of people will be looking skyward during next week's near-total solar eclipse. Special glasses make it possible to view the moon passing in front of the sun safely. But sadly, the market is being flooded with fakes. And as Tanya Beja reports, they can do some serious damage. If you are going to be looking at the sun and you want to look at the sun safely, you're going to need a pair of super trusty solar eclipse glasses. They're the hottest commodity in town right now. What you do is you face the sun, look down at the solar eclipse glasses. Allowing users to get the most from Monday's solar eclipse. What you'll see during the eclipse is you'll see just a crescent shape of that. So instead of seeing a perfect circle, you'll see a crescent form of it. It's been 100 years since uh, North America really had a solar eclipse of that nature. If you don't already own a pair of solar eclipse glasses, you may be out of luck. Retailers like London Drugs ordered thousands. They were gone within days. There's been a tremendous amount of interest. Uh, Every second question seems to be, do you have any left? Manufacturers aren't producing anymore, so the high demand has spawned a series of unsafe knockoffs. Amazon offering refunds, asking buyers not to use certain products. We saw the ISO and the CE certification. Realtor Candice Rorick ordered 2,000 pairs to give away. She's now questioning their authenticity. I wouldn't feel secure uh, recommending them to anyone unless I was absolutely sure that, that they were safe to use. Staring at the sun with faulty glasses can burn the eyes, causing blindness. You should always inspect your solar glasses as well. If there are any scratches on your lenses, throw them away immediately. Right here, it says meets the requirement for the ISO. That is uh, a requirement to to make sure that the glasses are safe to use. The planetarium will have glasses and telescopes to catch the eclipse Monday morning. And if you missed this one close to home... The next one is down in South America. You can plan a family vacation for two weeks and have an awesome opportunity to actually see the solar eclipse. Tanya Beja, Global News. Concussion protocol used to be shake it off and get back in the game. We've learned a lot since then. And now the BCHL is adopting new tools to protect players. It's implementing a Canadian-made app that'll take much better care of young brains. How it works in just over a minute. A fiery President Trump speaking off the cuff about the deadly violence in Charlottesville. Coming up, the backlash over what he said. And shocking video shows a seven-year-old boy with autism dragged by teachers through a school hallway. Why police say these images don't tell the whole story. That's coming up later. Right now, though, the risk of concussion is the greatest threat to young athletes playing contact sports. And we've learned a lot about the long-term impact of blows to the head. That's why the BC Hockey League is now teaming up with a Canadian company using its new app to standardize testing protocol beginning even before the players step on the ice. Ted Chernecki explains how it works. In these dog days of summer, only the truly committed practice incessantly. You'll find some of the best up-and-coming talent on ice sheets everywhere. All share dreams of a promising career as professional athletes, and nobody wants to be concussed out of contention. It's definitely a big topic just in the sports world right now, so it, yeah, it's, it's good that they're taking safety measures, and hopefully they, they can pay off. 
Today, the BCHL announced an agreement with HeadCheck Health Incorporated, a company born out of UBC's business school by former rugby, football, and NHL athletes with a common concern. They've come up with an app that basically takes all that concussion protocol paperwork that already exists and brings it down to a mobile device right at the player's bench in real time. There's the baseline. He'll do a quick test on them. That will automatically record, and they'll see where it compares to the test that he did in September. And any time he's... Oh, boy. Ask any coach, any trainer, when a player comes off the ice after taking a hard hit, the response is predictable. I'm okay, let me play. So they've got their helmet on, they've got their mouth up, they hit their head. To be able to use an app like that to determine whether or not you have to send them home, send them to the physiotherapist, they can come back on the ice, it's a real safety net for coaches. If you get hit while you have a concussion, you could make it a lot worse. The BCHL will be the first league to use hard historical data immediately to help put a new injury into perspective and hopefully make the right decision on whether to let a player continue or not. It's useful to have the baseline if there's a concussion that helps on the ice to do a post-concussion test and a a pre-return-to-play test. So there's multiple tests that can be offered. BCHL training camps open next week. Ted Chernicki, Global News. In the Okanagan, construction of a dock at a local winery is raising some concerns. La Stella Winery wants to build a commercial dock to provide boat and float plane access for customers. But locals say water safety is a big issue. They're worried about the potential of an accident between a float plane and a boat. But representatives for the winery say the dock permit was issued by the province and they're shrugging off any concerns really think it's too close to the residences. Uh, we don't know how many planes will be landing each day. Worried about potential loss of life. Oh, absolutely. Well, there won't be any any additional measures. Uh, you know, float plane operators and boat operators have a responsibility to conduct themselves accordingly. In response to some of the concerns, the provincial government says the license was issued for five years instead of the normal 10. That'll allow for further conditions to be imposed if necessary. The dock can't be used for functions that generate loud noise after 10 p.m. And an environmental impact assessment indicates that it will not cause serious harm to the fish. A desperate appeal from a woman running out of time. I want to be with them. Why Canada immigration won't grant her siblings visas for one last visit. Also, backlash against B.C.'s new grizzly hunt law. A Vancouver woman battling leukemia is now dealing with more heartbreaking news. Elsa Nega applied to have her brother and sister join her in Canada as her health deteriorates, but their applications for visas were denied. Nadia Stewart has the family's last desperate appeal. I don't have any family anywhere else except them. I need some. My children need some. Nobody help me. Through tears, Elsa Nega makes one more plea, hoping someone in Ottawa is listening. And I don't know. I die tomorrow or today. Nobody knows. They are her brother and sister, Jalila and Mikias. Both live in Ethiopia. When they found out about their sister's leukemia diagnosis, the family applied to have them come to Canada to be with her. But twice now, their visa applications have been denied. The original reason was uh, they were not satisfied as to the uh, purpose of the visit. Uh, They were not satisfied that they were going to leave at the end 
of the period authorized for their stay. An application for a judicial review has been filed, but time is not on their side. This is what Elsa looked like when Global News first caught up with her in June. And despite a desperate search for a bone marrow donor of African descent, I want to smile again. no match has been found. She says her last hope was to have her siblings join her as her condition deteriorates. Siblings she raised since their own mother died. I don't know how can I tell. We, we pass many, many things in our life together, three of us. Many, many things. I need some, I need some care, my children. Nega reached out to her Vancouver South MP Harjeet Sajjan, but their office referred us back to Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada. Now she's pleading with anyone who will listen. I want to be with them. Whatever is happening in my life, and I want to, even if I die, I want to see them. To see them perhaps one last time and at least spare her from suffering with a broken heart. Nadia Stork, Global News. A day after the B.C. NDP announced a grizzly bear trophy hunt ban, the B.C. Greens and a number of wildlife advocates are slamming it, calling it inadequate. The plan, they say, has a number of loopholes that won't result in an actual ban on hunting grizzlies. Linda Aylesworth explains. For those opposed to the grizzly bear hunt, that includes 90% of British Columbians. Some good news recently from the new NDP government. Effective November 30th, the British Columbia government will end grizzly bear trophy hunting throughout the province and stop all hunting of grizzlies in the Great Bear Rainforest. To see them come out already a month into power to make this announcement, that's a pretty bold statement. But the joy of the moment was lessened for some when the release went on to state, while the trophy hunt will end, hunting grizzlies for meat will be allowed to continue. It's all political spin. There is no ban. Anybody who wins a lottery, a limited entry hunt, go in and shoot the grizzly, um, take the meat out if they wish, and leave the hide and head there. There are potentially a lot of loopholes, and we want to ensure that, you know, that these animals are not taken advantage of for purposes of pseudo-meat hunts. With the release of actual regulations pending, there are more questions than answers. Like, how would such a ban be enforced? Conservation officer services, uh, you know, on the ground are not going to be able to enforce regulations if someone's packing out uh, a grizzly bear. How are they going to verify that that animal's been taken only for a meat hunt? Even so, the announcement has BC's guide outfitters concerned. So this will mean that we will lose jobs. This will affect people's uh, livelihood. Uh, some people will have to figure out what they're going to do now to make a living and how they're going to how they're going to make up for this. So it's so fresh, we don't even know how to react yet. But while they think the government has gone too far, wildlife advocates feel it hasn't gone far enough. B.C. is the last province to allow grizzly hunting of any kind. Ending that complete hunt of bears would be the most appropriate action, but we see this as a really great first step. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Still to come, shocking video that shows how teachers handled an autistic student. It never should have gotten to that place. The lessons we can all learn from it, even if it doesn't tell the whole story. And the knockoff ring designs that have Costco paying millions in penalties. (laughs) 
The devastation is overwhelming. Entire communities have been wiped out. Nearly 400 people have been killed after thousands were hit by mudslides and massive flooding in the capital of Sierra Leone. Many victims were asleep in their beds when disaster struck early Monday morning. An estimated 600 people are still missing. Thousands have been left homeless. The country's president is appealing for urgent help. Reaction is pouring in tonight amid growing backlash over President Donald Trump's impromptu news conference today. His comments are the latest in a jaw-dropping saga that began on the weekend when his or with his vague response to the violence in Charlottesville, Virginia. Trump today doubling down on his blame for both sides. Tonight, a defining moment in Donald Trump's presidency. I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. The president, unfiltered and defiant, responding to criticism of his comments condemning the Charlottesville attack. What about the alt-left that came charging at the, as you say, the alt-right? Do they have any semblance of guilt? Both protesters and counter-protesters came ready for a fight, but Saturday's rally was sponsored in the first place by white nationalists. It's one of those attendees, police say, who plowed into a group of people, killing 32-year-old Heather Heyer. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue. What you call the alt-left is the same as neo-Nazis? I, oh, those people, all Are of you those putting them people, on the same level? Me. That's my question. I've condemned neo-Nazis. I've condemned many different groups, but not all of those people were neo-Nazis, believe me. Not all of those people were white supremacists by any stretch. They were white nationalists. Those people were also there because they wanted to protest the taking down of a statue, Robert E. Lee. Should that statue so, be taken down? Excuse me. And you take a look at some of the groups and you see... And you know it if you were honest reporters, which in many cases you're not. But many of those people were there to protest the taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. So this week it's Robert E. Lee. I noticed that Stonewall Jackson's coming down. I wonder, is it George Washington next week? And is it Thomas Jefferson the week after? You know, you, all, you really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? The president's words today echo what he said Saturday when he blamed many sides for hatred, bigotry and violence. Not condemning then the white supremacists and neo-Nazis who participated in the weekend rally. He did denounce them explicitly Monday, but today? But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. The president says he never spoke with his controversial chief strategist, Steve Bannon, about his original statement this weekend. Uh, he is not a racist, I can tell you that. He's a good person. He actually gets a very unfair press in that regard. But we'll see what happens with Mr. Bannon. After a long battle in court, Costco has been ordered to pay nearly $20 million to jeweler Tiffany. The jewelry company sued, claiming Costco was using the Tiffany name to sell thousands of rings that weren't made by Tiffany. Costco argues that the Tiffany name had become a generic term. The warehouse club chain says it will appeal. A young boy with autism dragged down a hallway by his teachers, all of it caught on video. The mother of the seven-year-old boy is outraged that those involved won't face criminal charges. But according to police, there's more to the story that wasn't caught on camera. It's the video that left an Ohio mother speechless. 
her seven-year-old son, Corbin, who's autistic, being carried by school staff by his hands and feet, at one point dragged by his ankle into an office. It was almost like a punch in the gut. I just wanted to grab Corbin and hold him and hug him and not let him go. Since the May incident in Crestline, Ohio, a police investigation found the boy was hitting, kicking, and biting others on the playground. And a teacher says he injured her eye. Cameras don't capture that. The county prosecutor declined to pursue felony child endangerment charges, saying the video is upsetting and troubling, but not every wrong is a crime. We showed the video to a psychologist. It never should have gotten to that place. With a deep background in special education. What we want to try and do is de-escalate the situation, keep the child safe where the child is. An attorney for the teacher and teacher's aide did not respond to our request for comment. They remain on administrative leave and could face disciplinary action. You never want to think that any of your employees are capable of doing something like that. Bonnie McKean has posted the video online, hoping it sparks better training nationwide. There's a difference between an autistic meltdown and a temper tantrum from an angry child. And, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. This school year, Corbin will attend a new special education program in a neighboring district. Blake McCoy, NBC News. In health matters tonight, a condition known as digital eye strain is on the rise. And children are most at risk. Heather Yorex West shows us the simple solutions to help protect your kids from the harmful effects of too much screen time. Ten-year-old James Sharkey loves football and soccer, but he also likes to play video games, sometimes for hours at a time. Probably highest five hours. Between home and school, the time children spend on digital devices is rising. Most kids are logging four to eight hours a day. But all of that screen time can be hard on young eyes, leading to something optometrists refer to as digital eye strain. Typical symptoms of digital eye strain include things like blurry vision, double vision, eye fatigue, excessive blinking. According to a recent survey by the Alberta Association of Optometrists, many parents aren't aware that digital devices may be impacting their children's eyes because the signs can be easy to miss. Quite often in, in children, these symptoms are very hard to detect, and they often exhibit as irritability, poor behavior, or a reduced attention span in children. James's mom started to suspect something was wrong when her son began complaining of headaches and was blinking excessively. He'd always worn glasses for some years, but I thought it was time for a new eye check, um, and I'm glad we did take him because he was showing classic symptoms of digital eye strain. Doctors recommend parents promote the 20-20-20 rule. Ask that kids take a 20-second break every 20 minutes by looking at something at least 20 feet away. There are also treatments available. James now has a blue coating on his glasses to help reduce the blue light glare from phones and iPads. It's made such a big difference to him with lack of headaches now. Um, there's absolutely no blinking and it's such, such a difference. Heather Yurks West, Global News. Two college students hit the jackpot at the thrift store. I cannot imagine this ever happening to me. How they picked up some NASA history and why it's worth a lot more than they paid for it. And a late night highlight, fired White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci visits with Stephen Colbert.
The Late Show with Stephen Colbert hit a ratings high last night as the talk show host interviewed former White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci. What the mooch said about the president right after weather. We'll check in with Christy Gordon right now. Beautiful sunshine out behind you, Christy. Yes, we're so lucky across the South Coast. Look at this. Picture perfect. Temperatures have dropped a little bit. Just comfortable. But I want to make a mention to those of you in the interior. You know, we, we had um, smoky skies for two weeks across the South Coast, and it was tough to handle. Some areas are going on into their six weeks. So no wonder you're uh, having a hard time dealing with it. And uh, we, uh, we really do feel sorry for you. We hope that that will clear out. But uh, not a big change in sight for you, unfortunately. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, across the south coast, as we talked about, temperatures have dropped, but we've dropped to seasonal. Yes, it has been very hot for the first two weeks of August, and now things have uh, cooled off. 21 was our high, and we're expecting similar conditions right throughout the week. And the reason for that is more of a westerly flow. That brings that cooler air mass from the Pacific onshore, and it also allows for these systems to move onshore as well. The bad news is, as we've seen time and time again, all of the moisture from these systems are going to hit the north and central coast and northern part of the province. It's not going to make its way down to the south. Here's the model data to just give you an idea of that. There's all that rain across the north coast. Wouldn't it be nice if that pushed into the interior? Well, look what happens. It breaks apart and misses all of the interior regions. And that will be the case. We've got another system that's set to push in later Thursday, although we are expecting a few showers, but we really need a good soaker in those areas and we're not expecting much of that. Uh, fingers crossed though for that one later Thursday. We'll watch to see how it develops. But in the meantime periods of rain across the north coast inland regions will see some cloud cover. I've put in a slight chance of showers for you in Prince George and Quinell and down towards Williams Lake but otherwise expect it to be dry and you may see some gusty winds as well. Down through the south a little warmer tomorrow compared to what you saw today but still very smoky in your region. South coast pleasant conditions with some cloud cover, some sunshine, highs of 22 degrees, right where we should be for this time of year. And look at that. That's pretty much uh, carbon copy every day throughout the week. All right. Uh, one person celebrating a birthday today, Robert Moore. Congratulations to you. And Joan and Bob Proctor are celebrating 72 years together with 15 great grandchildren. So congratulations. And here's our weather window from Barb Anderson. This is Barnett Marine Park in Burnaby. Chris. He Heavenly. Yes. Beautiful. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. The man nicknamed the Mooch appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert last night. Former White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci spoke to Colbert about President Trump, saying it was a mistake for the president not to condemn white supremacists and neo-Nazis on Saturday. Nazis. Won't be the first one. Good or bad? Super bad. We know. Super bad. Super bad. Why do you think the president of the United States, who you called, quote, the most media savvy person of our times, mm -hmm. would shank a softball like that so hard? Well, he should have he should have condemned white supremacism and, okay. and, and neo-Nazis. Why and do you all think he didn't do that? Up. Who stopped him from doing that? Well, I think at the end of the day, it's uh, the president himself. And so I'm not going to blame or point fingers at anybody, but I think he knows. Why not that. The I think that's why. Let's be fair to him today, though. He did condemn the Nazis today. Two Let's days later, does he order his spine on Amazon Prime? Why did it take so long? Victory and vindication for pop star Taylor Swift, a federal jury siding with Swift in her civil suit against a radio host. The court agreed with the singer who said a DJ groped her during a pre-concert photo four years ago. 
Swift only asked for $1 in damages, a symbolic amount, of course, and that's exactly what she got. During the trial, the pop superstar testified that David Mueller lifted her skirt and grabbed her behind while she posed for that photo. Not cool. Not cool. No. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, what a beautiful, easy forecast for the next five days. Yes. You've got nothing to do. That's right. I'm going to take the next couple of days off. You can. <laughs> uh, Jay Janauer in for Squire, who's on vacation. Yeah. Makes a great time to do it. Yes, golfing. For sure. Of course. Mm-hmm. I know he was out at Northlands yesterday. Uh, not cool was the Lions effort on Sunday. Mm. Not enough Band-Aids at PharmaSave to uh, cover up all the wounds the Riders inflicted on the BC Lions. Seven turnovers, including four John Jenning picks. It is a loss that should and still does hurt. It's a big deal. I mean, you know, four interceptions is, is tricky. Uh, play awful. See what kind of bounce back the Lions can deliver on Friday. That's coming up in sports along with a key injury to Whitecaps midfielder Matias Lava. Look forward to that, Jay. And also an out-of-this-world discovery. Bargain hunters find NASA flight suits at a thrift store. What they paid and how much the suits could fetch now. All right, Jay's back with sports. Whitecaps got a big hole to fill. Ooh, boy, do they ever. Thanks, Chris. Uh, evening, everybody. The Vancouver Whitecaps will not have the services of midfielder Matias Lava until the beginning of next season at the earliest. Lava's done for the year after blowing out his knee on the weekend against the Revolution. Leaves a big loss in the Caps' midfield. He went down twice in the opening half. Both were innocent enough looking plays. He didn't collide with anybody. His knee just gave out. He has suffered a torn ACL. He will undergo surgery. The Caps say he'll be ready to start the 2018 season. He started 19 MLS regular season matches, all four of their CONCACAF Champions League matches. 25-year-old ranks fourth all-time for Vancouver in MLS regular season appearances with 113, but he is done. White Capsule host Houston on Saturday night. Champions League qualifying today, opening leg. Liverpool trying to become the fifth English team to qualify for group stage, taking on Hoffenheim, a small German club hailing from a village of 4,000. Had never scored a goal before. In European competition, 11th minute, and they blow that glorious opportunity. It's a hush puppy of a penalty kick. Soft, 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 Chris, from Andre Kramaric. Liverpool make good on their chance, 35th minute. How nice is that? 18-year-old Trent Alexander-Arnold whips it over the wall and inside the post. A brilliant strike from 30 meters out. First ever goal for him in a Liverpool kit. 74th minute, James Milner scooting down the sidelines. Looks like he's just trying to cross it into the box, but it goes in. Glances off the defender's chest. Hoffenheim did score a late one, but it was a 2-1 final for Liverpool. Back to work for the BC Lions, and as we all witness on Sunday, there's lots of work to be done. And this is a honey-do list that's been uh, not the one that's waiting in your kitchen aisle, not the one you go home and got all those turnovers that the Lions did. Uh, They have to get a lot better, or else they're going to have that same kind of loss, 33-point loss that they saw in Saskatchewan on uh, Sunday. No, it's one game, and uh, you got to move on. Um, it's, you know, I've responded well in the past uh, because I have no other choice. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to leading this team, and, and, you know, I'm just appreciative that these guys believe in me. And the BC Lions' belief in John Jennings won't be eroded by one really bad game. Jennings will start against the Stampeders on Friday in a game where we'll learn a lot about the Lions and the man leading them. That's not to say there's no open wounds from the Riders' beatdown. When you commit seven turnovers and throw the number of picks Jennings did, a loss like this one should leave a mark, and it did. It's a big deal. I mean, you know, four interceptions is is tricky. Uh, Play awful. Um, Couldn't get a first down for a long time. Uh, Couldn't move the ball. Couldn't put any points on the board. So 
uh, you know, it, it's a big deal, but at the same time, it's only one game. You know, whether we would have lost by 100 or we lost by one point, it was still one game that we lost. So uh, we're going to, you know, we, we, we went back to the film room, looked at what we can fix, and, uh, you know, we're going to come out better this week. The Lions held a players-only meeting on their day off. Safe to say a lot was discussed. They've now dropped two of their last three games and appear to be a team incapable of defending their quarterback or own end zone. Of 41 points, Saskatchewan rang up on them, the most the Riders have scored this season. And this from the lowest scoring team in the West. It makes you wonder the damage Calgary might inflict come Friday. We know last week wasn't good enough, right? And so, but we also believe that's not the team that we are. Um, so it's up to us. It's a choice on, on how we respond to that. And uh, uh, this ch- team's going to choose to respond in the right way. You know, obviously, when you play a game of that nature, there's a lot of things to resolve. So, you know, the offense met with the offense. The defense met with the defense. Uh, you know, they uh, figured out some issues that caused uh, the game to get out of control like it did. And hopefully it's resolved. Day of training for our national women's rugby side. Canada's off to a 2-0 start at the Rugby World Cup. Have yet to concede a point, let alone a try. They trounced Hong Kong 38-0 and then outworked a tough Welsh side 15-0. Stiffest test, though, will come Thursday when Canada plays New Zealand. Uh, it's really nice to be the only team so far that hasn't been scored on. Uh, it's always hard in a tournament like this with a format with so many days uh, in between our turnovers, but the team's really taken a chance to connect and refocus on our next game, and I think that's really positive. I'm happy with the girls. Obviously, we wanted to get a few more things executed against Wales that uh, didn't go our way, but um, their energy is good. We know exactly what we, the game plan is going into New Zealand, so um, the girls are just going to bring it. I'm proud of these girls. They're, very, uh, they're just such a tremendous group of athletes. They've worked very hard um, on the game plan and on our defense, and we're just going to go out and uh, play some good rugby and have some fun. Um, New Zealand's going to be a tough opposition. We've played them a lot in the last uh, um, couple years, so uh, it's going to be a great game. 98 nothing against Hong Kong. Vancouver Canadians are on the uh, field tonight. Scotiabank Field looking to make it four straight victories. Excellent. All right. All right. Thanks very much, Jay. We'll check in with Andrew now for a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. And Thanks, Chris. A heartbreaking situation for a Vernon family. A computer was stolen from inside their vehicle at the beginning of August containing pictures of their deceased son. They are hoping their public plea will be heard. And as we heard earlier, good news today. B.C.'s minimum wage is going up, but not as fast as some had hoped. We talked to workers and businesses about what this means for them. That's ahead when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris. All right, and thanks very much. And when we come back, bargain hunters over the moon with what they found at a thrift store. Coming up on ET Canada, Taylor Swift's verdict and what it means for Hollywood and how superstar Luke Bryan hides from his fans in plain sight. All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl. Two college students made the discovery of a lifetime at a thrift store in Florida. They stumbled on an incredible piece of NASA history, a rare set of flight suits. And you won't believe how much they paid. We're about to add a new entry in the annals of NASA collector lore. 
Did you hear angels singing or something? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, name is Nelson, N-E-L-S-O-N, so astronaut Nelson. This is arguably the thrift shop find of the century. Well, the white suits were in the clothes are in the white room. They were used by the people who were actually loading the astronauts on board. No doubt. (laughs) It's the real deal. For the record, the suits have been authenticated, worn by the NASA Space Shuttle ground crew and astronauts Parker, Nelson, and Walker. But this stuff ends up at a thrift store. Yeah, how did that happen? So how did it happen? The rare flight suits were actually part of a going-out-of-business sale here at the now-empty Titusville Salvation Army. Who knows how long they've been there. This was 90% off. Skylar Ashworth and Talia Rapper are self-proclaimed thrifters. Their summer backroom find is the stuff of instant bargain shopper legend. Yeah, I'm just digging through a whole bunch of sweaters and stuff. So you get the white one first and then there's the blue under it? Yeah, there's the blue one and then, you know, I thought there was none and then I moved some more clothes aside. Then I was pulling out another one and another one. And we laid them out on the cart and just looked at them and just jaw dropped. I cannot imagine this ever happening to me. History aside, our thrifters were very thrifty. Remember, they paid 20 cents a piece for these suits. They stand to get $5,000 or more. Not a bad way to be part of history. In Titusville, Mike Holfeld, News 6. Wow, that is what a find. Should have kept them till after Halloween, though. Yeah, I was thinking good, the same, yeah. It would be a good Halloween <laughs> costume to wear. All right, last word on weather before we go. Steady as she goes is what it looks like. That's right. Not much change right through until the end of the weekend. For those of you in the interior, though, we are tracking a system for potentially Thursday afternoon evening. So stay tuned for that one, how much rain pushes into uh, the areas that, of course, need it most. Uh, we will have more on that.